Good morning, friends. This is Libby. We are preaching through the book of John, and the author John wrote it so that we may believe. So we're calling this sermon series Believe. And today we're in John chapter 13. I hope as we go through John chapter 13, I can show you that believing is making love visible in the world. That believing isn't just something up here or in here, but it's an action. That believing is making love visible in the world. So the word love, we know, has many definitions. There's many ways to describe love. And even with all those words to describe love, it's hard to find words to describe the word love. Valentine's Day is right around the corner, which might make you think of romantic love. And that is a gift from God, and it is a delight and pleasure for those of us who are married and have great relationships. In fact, the reason I'm recording this sermon is because I will be on a marriage retreat with my beloved this weekend. But no matter how great romantic love is, it falls short of God's perfect love. Maybe you've experienced love as a parent to a child. If you've had the gift of having a child, there is such profound love for that innocent child. But even that love falls short of God's perfect love. Maybe you've experienced love uh, for your own parents or for friends or siblings or for a pet, but none of those loves can compare to the perfect love of God. We are going to see in John chapter 3 a dramatic story of how Jesus, who is God, models perfect love. And these are some of the last words that Jesus spoke before he died. In other words, they are very important. If you were with someone who was near his or her time of death, you would want to lean in and listen close. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to lean in and listen close to what Jesus says in John chapter 13. So let's jump in. Chapter 13, verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And to the end right here, it can also be translated fully or to the utmost. It means that Jesus loved as much as it was possible to love. Verse 2. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Judas sadly had been tempted and was giving in to that temptation. Verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Jesus was clear and confident in his identity and his mission. Verse 4, so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize what I am doing but later you will understand. 
No, said Peter, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Well, then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. Someone uh, made a joke that we could have called today's sermon Stinky Feet. I'm sure none of you have stinky feet. In fact, you probably have very impeccable foot hygiene. But if you were to have someone wash your feet, you still might be a little uncomfortable. It might feel awkward. It might even be gross to wash someone else's feet or have them wash your feet. It is vulnerable. I've been in a service before on Monday, Thursday, where there's a foot washing um, experience. And if maybe some of you have done it, if you haven't, I would recommend doing it. It is, re- it is really vulnerable, but it is so powerful, that experience. That is part of the Holy Week, Monday, Thursday, the day before Good Friday, when it actually happens in this story. So that's when it's typically celebrated. Well, Foot washing isn't so common today, but in the first century, it was very common that when you were a guest in someone's home, you would arrive and it was customary to wash your feet. Sometimes the servant in the house would be the one to wash your feet because you had come from a distance. We know that people wore sandals, the roads were dirty and dusty, and when they first came into the house, they would wash their feet. However, in this case, Jesus, who was a rabbi and the master of the house, stooped down to wash the feet of the disciples. That was not something that happened. Typically, it was the servant or the slave that would wash the feet. So when Jesus did that, he was acting as the host and the servant or the master and the slave He was saying that he wanted to give this gift to these guests. And by receiving Jesus's gift of foot washing, it was like entering into a more intimate relationship with Jesus. Jesus was inviting these guests into a more intimate relationship with him. It wasn't really about cleanliness. It was about relationship. So Jesus took that opportunity to make belief visible in love. The character Peter, the disciple named Peter, always makes me laugh. He has such dramatic reactions to everything. So when Jesus says, I'm going to wash your feet, he says, no, never. (laughs) And then Jesus explained what was going to happen and why. And then Peter says, oh, yes, wash all of me while you're at it. And Peter objected to this washing And in a few chapters, a few weeks from now, you will see that he objected to Jesus going to the cross as well. And he has another show of dramatic um, reaction where he cuts the ear off one of the soldiers trying to protect Jesus. So this is kind of par for the course for Peter. You may also remember a chapter before this, chapter 12, last week, Pastor Brad at Howard Drive talked about it, um, that 
there was another type of foot washing that happened. It was in the house of Mary and Martha. These were the sisters of Lazarus. All the disciples were there, and Mary, the sister, poured perfume onto Jesus' feet and then washed his feet with her hair. Judas was in the room when this was happening. All the disciples were, and Judas was furious that she would have wasted the money from that perfume on Jesus' feet. Well, Mary actually was a faithful disciple who understood Jesus was not going to be with them forever. His time was short, and she chose that sacrifice as a sign of love for Jesus. She, in a way, that sacrificial love was making love visible in the world. Her belief in Jesus was making love visible in the world. And Jesus praised her for it, said she did the right thing by doing that. So in this chapter 13, that same verb is used for the washing of the feet. When Mary washed Jesus's feet and when Jesus is washing the disciples' feet, the same verb is used. And you might notice that Jesus washed the feet of all 12 disciples. He didn't leave anyone out. Even though he knew who would betray him. In fact, there were two people in that room that would betray him, Peter and Judas. But Jesus washed all of their feet. He didn't have any partiality or any favoritism in that group. He treated them all as equals. His love extended to all of those disciples. No one in that room, I don't think, would have noticed any special treatment or any unkindness to anyone in the room. And I don't know if I could have done that. I think my face or my words or my tone of voice might have given me away that I had feelings about some people in the room. And we know that Jesus did have feelings about people in that room. He was devastated that those two people whom he loved, who he had invested in and spent time with and considered some of his closest friends, that those men were to betray him. It wasn't a small matter. It was a really big deal. So let's lean in and listen again at verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I'm not referring to all of you. I know those who I have chosen, but this is to fulfill the passage of scripture that said, he who shared my bread has turned against me. I'm telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Very truly, I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit 
and testified, Very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. That refers to John, the author of this book. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, Ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in this dish. Then, dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered him. Jesus told him, what you are about to do, do it quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas was in charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. It is a hard truth that not everyone will accept or embrace the love that Jesus offers. We, too, we are all tempted at different times in our lives and we make choices. The author, John, paints a dramatic picture of when, G- when Judas receives that piece of bread and he leaves. And it is nighttime. It's dark. It's almost like if we were watching a movie, there would be some ominous music playing in the background to show us how dramatic that was. Ultimately, it wasn't a conflict between Jesus and Judas. It wasn't. It was a much bigger cosmic battle between Jesus and Satan, the power of good and evil, the power of light and darkness. That's where the conflict actually lay. The betrayal that we just read about had already been predicted in the Old Testament when it said that the one who shared the bread with him would turn against him. And then we go to the last section of chapter 13, verse 31. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now. Where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. 
Then Jesus answered, Will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Again, cue the ominous music. This is a really challenging section of the book of John 13. I mean, of the chapter John 13. Let me just say, our church has recently filled out a spiritual inventory. All right, this is something we love to do every new year. So at the beginning of January, many of you remember there was an opportunity to fill out a spiritual inventory. Where are you spiritually speaking? And we're so proud of you, friends. 271 of us filled out that survey. That's between both campuses, Rosa Parks and Howard Drive. 271 of you. Very impressive. Now, we were looking at the results from the survey that you filled out about yourselves. And one of the results we noticed is that you consider yourself good at love. We're a loving church. We're good at loving. That's what you said about yourselves. But you also said that you stink at patience. (laughs) So it made me think of 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter that you might have heard at a wedding before, where it says... Love is patient. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not envious or boastful or rude. It does not insist on its own way. Ouch. So somehow there's a connection between love and patience. And you all said, we're awesome at loving and we stink at patience. And, but somehow they're supposed to go together, church. You may also have heard something in from Galatians 5 about the fruits of the spirit, the fruits of the spirit. If I if I am a follower of Jesus, I'm going to want to produce and have the fruits of the spirit, which are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. And those fruits of the spirit are not a fruit smorgasbord that I can just pick one. It is a singular word. It's not a plural word. So it's the fruit of the Spirit. I want all of them. I want to produce and exemplify all of those things, which means love and patience go together. So this is hard, church. How are we going to handle this? We are going to need God. We're going to need Jesus's example so that we can make love visible in the world, that our belief, that our believing will make love visible in the world. Love meaning patience will go along with it. Now, if God is the creator of love and God is able to love unconditionally, we know God loves us even though we are sinners and we fail often. But then when I am supposed to model that love, the love of God, the love of Jesus, I get really overwhelmed. I just, I can't do it. It is actually really hard to model the love of Jesus. Don't you think? I admit that I am not very good at loving people. I love people conditionally. So I'm really good at loving people as long as I have some control over the situation. So if I can love, but it doesn't require a lot of self-sacrifice, 
I can love if the other person is really lovable and easy to love, right? I can love when it makes me feel good back. But I have a hard time loving when it's inconvenient, when I am tired, when I am distracted. I tend to want to move on to loving someone else or someplace else that seems easier. It's really hard to love like Jesus loves. When Peter, the disciple Peter, claims or claimed that he could really lay down his life, that he could really love like Jesus, and Jesus challenges him and says, are you sure, Peter? Are you really sure you can love like me? Are you really sure you can lay down your life for me? Are you confusing who the shepherd is and who the sheep are? (laughs) The shepherd is the one who lays down his life for the sheep. And at that point, Jesus was saying, I am the shepherd. I am going to lay down my life for you. Peter thinks he can do it. And we, we see that he can't, that he betrays Jesus right after that conversation. And so like Peter, I can relate. I want to love like Jesus. I want to lay down my life, but so often I don't. I'm selfish and I really don't love people unconditionally and love them well. Jesus was loving and patient even when he was in a room surrounded by people who were about to betray him, he was able to be loving and patient at the same time. I'm going to close by rereading verses 34 and 35 because I think they really sum up what this chapter is all about. So they say, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So I ask you, church, what do you think the world sees when they look at us? What do they see when they look at the big C church universal? You know, the big church universal. What does the world see? What does the world see when they look at our local church? What does the world see when they look at us as individuals? Do they see that we are loving like Jesus loved? I am so imperfect in doing this that I know not everyone sees Jesus' love in me all the time. I wonder how Jesus can help us to take our belief, our belief that we have in our mind and our heart, our belief, Jesus, can he help us to live it out in such a way that our love is visible in the world, visible to the world, that they can see Jesus in us. That would be our goal, right? That's what we're hoping for. We are made for that kind of love. And it's really so appealing. We're drawn to it, aren't we? We're drawn to Jesus when he loves like this. We're drawn to people when we see that kind of love in them. It's very attractive, very appealing when we see that in our world. 
I really can't do it without the help of Jesus. Next week in chapter 14, we're going to see this theme of love continued and continued to the extreme when Jesus gives up his life on the cross. When he heads to the cross, that is just the utmost demonstration of love that Jesus could ever do for us. You are not going to want to miss it because the disciples are so afraid that Jesus is going to leave them. And they've only learned a little bit. They've only understood a little bit of how to love like Jesus. So what are they going to do when Jesus leaves them? And Jesus promises them in chapter 14 that you will see next week that Jesus will leave the Holy Spirit, the advocate, who will teach them how to love. They will not be left alone. So you won't want to miss that message next week. I'm going to leave you with two questions, okay, church, for all of us. I wonder, jot this down so you can be thinking about it this week. I wonder, in what ways is love hard for you? Is it hard to express love? Is it hard to receive love? So that's the first question. In what ways is love hard for you? Question number two, how can you make love visible this week? How can you make love visible in the world around you this week? That question is for you. How can you do that as a follower of Jesus? And for those of you who may not be followers of Jesus yet, we still invite you on this journey of learning how to love. Let me pray as we close today's message. Jesus, we thank you for this amazing story that you, as the king, were willing to humble yourself and wash the feet of the disciples. I want to have that kind of love. I want to believe in you so much that I can love people unconditionally, that I can love people sacrificially, that I can love people when it costs me something, that I can love people when I don't feel like it. Jesus, would you help us this week? Show us how we can use our belief and take that belief to make our love visible in the world. I thank you, God. Amen.